I'm James Dart, co-founder of Inspire You and Jess I Will Vote, and welcome to the ninth episode of Ramona Telling Our Story series podcast. On this week's episode, we have Eleanor Ramiji, the founder of the In Limbo Project. In this episode, we discuss the founding, the impact, and the legacy of the In Limbo Project. We discuss feelings of connectivity toward the UK, especially Europeans living here. And we discuss the future, what Brexit means now for EU citizens living here, as well as Brits living out in the EU. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Elena. Hi, James. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Very well, thank you. You're in sunny Italy, I see. I am. I'm in Lake Maggiore. The sun is shining. <laughs> Lovely. I'm in rainy Bristol, so couldn't be... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was where you are. Um, so thank you very much for being on um, this week's episode of Ramona Telling Our Story. Um, thank you. A podcast series which has so far talked about, um, you know, the Remain campaigners, but you're going to give us something slightly different today. Um, we'll, we'll go into all of that a bit later, but before we start, I'd just like to know, know a little bit about yourself. So who is Eleanor? What's your, what's your story, as it were? Well, first of all, uh, I'm, um, I'm from Milan. I'm originally from, from Italy. I'm an interpreter and a translator. Um, although I've also become a British citizen um, straight after the referendum when I realized that my rights were under threat. Mm. Uh, and I feel very fortunate to have been able to have dual nationality because this is not the case for many other EU nationals. Take the Dutch, for instance, uh, who cannot have dual nationality unless they're married uh, to a Brit. Uh, so as I was saying, I, I feel very, very fortunate. Uh, I've always been an Anglophile. And I lived in the UK for 16 years with my husband and son. Um, okay. And, um, you know, when I moved here, the prospect of moving uh, was really exciting. And uh, little did I know that um, uh, Britain it would have ended up with, with Brexit and leaving Europe. Uh, but we didn't move from, from the UK, like to the UK um, directly from Italy. I was uh, living in Ireland. I lived there for six years. I was oh, cool. a teacher. Um, and before that, uh, as um, a student, I lived for a year in Canada, oh, nice. um, uh, a year that I thoroughly enjoyed. But I, it, you know, when I think back, I realize the difference between moving from Canada, uh, from Italy to Canada, um, and then moving from Italy to, to Ireland. Uh, because, of course, um, going to Canada meant that I had to have a visa. I had a student visa and when it finished, I had to leave, although I would have liked to stay. Yeah. Uh, whereas when I moved to Ireland, thanks to freedom of movement, uh, I was able um, you know, to move almost seamlessly. Um, so that, that's why I'm, I, I really value and appreciate freedom, freedom of movement and all you know, the, the added benefits um, it brings. Um, I can also say that I've always followed politics, uh, particularly Italian politics, not so much uh, British politics at the time. And I never thought I would become an activist uh, in, in the UK, but no. here I am and uh, the referendum changed my life. <laughs> Yeah, as it did, I think, for, for many of the people I've, I've sort of had on this series so far, people that weren't particularly um, political before. So yeah. uh, do, do, do you know Sue Wilson, the Bremen in Spain? Yeah, of yeah. She, I had her on a few friend. weeks and, Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, and she, she had a sort of similar story where she was saying, well, totally politically apathetic before the referendum, and then that was just a, a, a huge catalyst. So I think, um, I think that's been true of so many people. 
Absolutely. I don't think, I mean, I wouldn't consider myself uh, apathetic uh, because I followed politics, but I, I always found there was, was more to say about Italian politics <laughs> than yeah. British one. Yeah. Uh, but of course, the referendum truly, truly made a difference. And I started um, campaigning uh, and, and then focusing on citizens' rights. Yeah. Lovely. Well, obviously, we're going to come to all of that in a minute, but I just want to take you back to the, the day of the referendum, because um, this is a question I, I try to include in all of these all of these episodes. I think it's quite interesting. People have had different reactions. Some people literally were in tears. Some people were angry. Some people didn't really know what happened at that stage. What was your initial reaction when you saw the result leave? Well, first of all, I, I will never forget the day, you know, of, uh, of the referendum. I remember sitting on the sofa and uh, I didn't move from there uh, the whole night. I, I briefly fell asleep and then I woke up around five o'clock and I realized that uh, uh, leave at one and, uh, and my heart sank. It was just disbelief and almost a sense of warning. Uh, I, I cannot really describe it. And also you've got to consider that as a new citizen, I hadn't had a voice in this referendum. Of course. So it was like looking at everything happening, you know, around me uh, and without being able to make a difference, except mm. that I campaigned as I could mm. just to tell people, you know, that they should vote uh, to remain. Uh, and I remember also the sadness of seeing many Britons. Uh, I remember some saying, oh, I don't know what to vote, really, you know, who cares? And, 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 this, and it was so frustrating not to be able to cast a vote in one of the most, I think, historic moments uh, you know, sure. of, of recent years. Yeah, for sure. Um, so on, on the day, I remember that everything was almost happening uh, in slow motion. Um, I, I couldn't quite make sense of it all because it was too much to take in. Mm. I remember speaking, well, I could barely speak to my husband and, uh, uh, you know, it was just, we were trying to think of the implications and what that would have, would, would have meant. And I think this sort of experience is the experience of many other EU citizens. And mm. I'm sure British ones to have, um, have had um, on, on the day. Uh, it's not dissimilar, although maybe the feelings might be different. It could be disbelief, it could be anger, but you know, some sort of strong emotion as a response. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's, that's been um, a feature of this series to date is that most people, whether it was kind of um, a sense of disbelief or terror or whatever it was, it was a strong feeling um, and even for me, somebody that hadn't really appreciated how important the, the EU had been in my life up to that moment, even I was like, whoa, what's happened here? This is this seems seismic and potentially really bad. Um, yes. So, yeah, I think um, I think what, what you say is going to resonate with a lot of people who will listen to this for sure. Um, obviously, you I'm interested in your perspective, particularly because you've also got um, a perspective that's beyond the kind of the view of, of, of people who were born in this country. You've got a kind of a view potentially from Italy and from the continent and from a European country um, or an EU country other than the UK. What was, what was the reaction like abroad, say in Italy? Did, were you on top of sentiment in your home country as it were at that stage? <laughs> You know, I think that, well, first of all, uh, Italians in the UK, you know, when I when I spoke to many of them and other Europeans, uh, as, as you were saying, had, you know, this feeling of disbelief, of terror, of, of uh, you know, and many other feelings. Uh, 
when I rang my parents, for instance, who are normally, you know, interested in politics and I rang friends, everybody thought it was madness. You know, they mm -hmm. couldn't believe there was shock. Sure, um, yeah. and, and some, you know, I remember some, not friends, but, you know, people I knew were almost cynically commenting, oh, well, you know, they were never totally in. So that mm. I think they, they, there was, they were capturing the sort of vein of Euroscepticism that has, yeah. you know, characterized a you know part of uh, of um uh, you know of, of british life and uh, that sort of mistrust uh, for, for brussels uh, um but you know um yeah people people struggled and uh, um and i noticed a difference between um uh, euroscepticism uh, in in italy mm. and and in britain is i mm. i think it's um it's very different in the sense that um, Italy uh, traditionally has always been a Europhile country. Hmm. Uh, you know, it's, it's one of the founding members of, yeah, of the European yeah, of Union. Yeah. We have Altiero Spinelli and some yeah. of the founding fathers are Italian. And yeah. uh, so there is a long tradition in this regard. But we have, you know, Euroscepticism is growing uh, and, and things started to change with the recession. Um, because um, there was also a rise of right-wing uh, parties and it's happening all across Europe yeah. uh, and populist parties uh, like the Northern League, for instance, um, led by Salvini. Uh, now, Salvini, it wasn't, you know, uh, didn't start as a, as a um, you know, Eurosceptic, but he, he's a populist and he yeah. realized that, you know, it was very easy to blame Europe for everything. Yeah. Uh, and it's an easy argument, you know, we've yeah. seen it happening in, in the referendum. Uh, but Euroscepticism in, in Italy is not deeply entrenched. Um, I, um, you know, it was more, um, you know, linked to, to a criticism of maybe the Euro as a currency. It was more the economic argument. Sure. Uh, and, and my hope is that, um, you know, the example of Britain, not that I want Britain to go badly, but I mean, what we are seeing now, helps um, other Europeans and Italians uh, not to make the same choice because sure. I think it, it's really it's really a, a, a mad choice and um, but you know for, for um, in terms of Euroscepticism in Britain has always been more identified with the other this otherness yeah. which I, I felt um, yeah. it was uh, used very, very well by both leave by Brexiters, just mm. to say that Britain was different. You know, we were, we needed to be separated from the rest of Europe and so on. It's, you know, it's a very strong argument as, as the Euro uh, argument uh, is in Italy. I, yeah. I just really, really hope that, uh, as I was saying, um, it doesn't, this doesn't become, it, this becomes, you know, an, an example teaching others uh, to, um, you know, showing the consequences mm. of, of such massive choice. Yeah, mm. you're right. We are the canary down the coal mine and we are suffocating and, you know, um, so let us be an example, sadly, to, uh, you know, That's and I guess it, at least that you can maybe hold that up as a sort of silver lining to all of this, which is that our situation will hopefully combat Euroscepticism elsewhere in, in the EU and help prevent the, the, the breakup of the EU. Um, Absolutely. Uh, you know, I hope so. On the positive side, although, I mean, you know, when you look at, at Britain, there has been, you know, a higher degree of apathy, you know, compared to, for instance, Italy, France, other countries where, you know, we tend to be uh, 
you know, down like in the streets pro uh, protesting and everything. I'm not saying this, it, this hasn't happened, but it, it, there hasn't been a massive, you know, uh, you know, movement. It's not that half of the population went down, you know, in the streets of London. No. Uh, but on the positive side, there has been the growth of, of um, a pro-European movement. I yeah, mean, when yeah. I looked at all the uh, grassroots uh, groups, of it's course, fantastic. Yeah. An, awa an awakening, I would call that's it. An awakening. Big, yes. Yes. Yeah. And to me, that's really the positive uh, side yeah. of something deeply negative. You know, you see Slough for Europe, Oxford for Europe, Cambridge for Europe, Bristol. And it's it's wonderful to look at. And it, this is actually rather unique. So I, I really, really hope that this journey continues. And uh, because it's so precious, not only for Britain, but also for the rest of Europe. For sure. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. Um, let's move on to In Limbo then, because you are the founder of In Limbo. What is, in? I've got the books behind me. There's two In Limbo books here behind me. But what is, talk to me about what In Limbo is. Why did you set it up? When? Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about its legacy and stuff in a minute. But firstly, tell me, when did you set In Limbo up and particularly why? Yes, um, In Limbo started in March 2017, so exactly four years ago. And the aim of In Limbo was to collect voices of uh, EU citizens, um, Britain too, uh, affected by Brexit. Um, but, you know, whenever I speak of how it started, I always like to go back a little to the referendum and, um, you know, to the month uh, uh, following the referendum, a referendum in which, as I was saying, most EU citizens hadn't had a voice and as well as Britons who had were living in the rest of Europe and who had lived there for more than 15 years. Uh, and when it became clear that uh, the vote leaves promise signed by Johnson and, and, and uh, Priti Patel, um, you know, that, that promise that nothing would have changed for us hadn't been maintained. And we became- so They, they, they are literally on record as saying nothing will change. Yes, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, people will be automatically granted, you know, leave to remain, nothing, yeah. you know. So yeah. when we became bargaining chips, as I was saying, pawns for, for, for this yeah. government in order to get a better deal, yeah. um, that's when I thought, uh, how about collecting? Why don't we collect our voices um, to make, to become a, a stronger, a more, you know, a, a stronger collective voice to, mm. and, and finally be heard? Because I felt that our voices hadn't been heard throughout the referendum campaign. We were just passively, you know, listening to what was happening and it was a horrendous campaign. Mm. So I, I, the founding idea of In Limbo is to give a voice to ordinary citizens uh, who had been living, working, paying taxes in, in the UK, sometimes for decades um, and felt, uh, generally speaking, uh, completely integrated mm. until that was saying that, that awful uh, referendum campaign, which turned us into, into the other, into the enemy, into some sort of, of, of scapegoats, you know, into yeah. the reason in some cases why, um, you know, we needed, uh, people needed to, to vote uh, for, for Brexit. And, um, you know, also forgetting that we were paying taxes in this country, you know, when they were saying that we weigh on structures and, uh, you know, we were too many and so on and so forth. So um, this, in limbo focuses more on the on the human impact on the human cost of Brexit um, in the belief that uh, people are not just numbers they are not statistics. They're not good or bad migrants um, according to how much they produce. Uh, 
but they are um, individuals with, with a story to share. And I was thinking uh, of, of reading uh, a little, a short testimony about this idea of the um, bad and good migrant. Um, you know, I, I have this testimony here of, um, of Ramona, uh, a doctor, and she says, I watch in horror in which direction the UK is headed. They're already putting price tags on us, putting us in different categories. Good job, good migrant, bad, no job, bad migrant. I'm a doctor, therefore I'm a good migrant and everybody tells me, don't worry, you can stay. But what happens if I fall ill tomorrow and turn into a bad migrant? I had you know, no intention of living this way and therefore I left. So, um, you know, this, this testimony in, in my opinion explains you know, very well, you know, this, um, this change, you know, in, in the climate, this um, sort of othering, we, we started yeah. breathing a, a more sort of hostile, um, um, we saw, yes, more hostility uh, growing. Yeah. And I always remember, particularly Eastern European uh, were, you know, uh, there were easy targets. Uh, I remember Alicia, a, a little girl of 12, um, who, was trying to describe the sudden change in, in atmosphere. And, and she was saying something like, before the referendum, nobody ever asked me, when are you going back to Poland? And now they're asking it all the time. But I was born in London and never lived anywhere else. Mm. So um, this, you know, more and more people like Alicia have um, had this experience of, you know, hearing people saying, you know, go back home. Yeah. Um, and, and so you can imagine, on, you know, for us, you know, the, the sort of disappointment, the disbelief, and sometimes, you know, the sense of betrayal, uh, yeah. you know, with regards to that promise, which hadn't been maintained. And, and together with the sort of loss of sense of identity, uh, lots of people have, you know, started wondering, where is home? You know, where is home after 50 or 60 years of living here and all of a sudden, you know, being treated like a, a you know, a guest, sometimes yeah. an unwelcome guest. Yeah. Uh, where is home uh, when Theresa May tells you, you know, if you're a citizen of the world, you're a citizen of nowhere and or, or that we are queue jumpers. Uh, we skip the queue, uh, really forgetting that we were just exercising freedom of movement like Britons in Europe. Um, or, you know, when Boris Johnson said uh, that we've, um, you know, we've treated the United Kingdom uh, as our home for too long. So this is truly the, 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 the impact, you know, on, um, of, uh, um, you know, this, this referendum has had on us. Why, and, and why do you think Theresa May and Boris Johnson use that kind of language? Do you think it was a deliberate dog whistle to a certain type of voter? Yeah. Of course, of course, uh, they had their audience to please. Uh, and I don't also believe that everybody thought along the same lines, but it was, you know, it was coming from the top. It was coming from, you yeah. know, um, not just, um, you know, a minor politician. And, and therefore that made it really worrying for us. Um, so um, yes, there, there has been a, a sudden change and uh, it, it was very difficult for us, mm. hence, the reason why you know in limbo uh, wanted really to to focus on, on the human side. I felt that uh, personally, the um, for instance the uh, the Remain campaign, I focused too much on the economic 
side yeah. and yeah. instead when you bring personal stories is then really when you know uh, um, you really speak of how people felt how people feel and it becomes more personal and it's really hard to uh, to say no you you know you're lying because that's how somebody feels how can you yeah. contribute that yeah I'll I'll, I'll I'll let you into um, something that my my mum said my mum and dad they voted for Brexit um mm -hmm. and it took quite a long time for them to sort of drop their defences, as it were, to, to sort of my brother and I talking to them about Brexit and suggesting that perhaps they'd made the wrong choice. Um, but what actually my mum said to me one time was, my, uh, Jack, my brother, bought uh, the In Limbo book, the first one, home. And my mum uh, flipped through it and she said that was, one, that was one of the first times that she was struck by her, like, her choice and she really reflected on it and just read those testimonies and thought, Maybe I've maybe I'm on the wrong side of history here. So, um, so this actually brings me to this to the next bit about um, legacy. So, um, I, I was going to ask you about the the impact of in limbo, but I'll, perhaps I'll ask you about the legacy aspect of it first. Do do you think that in limbo has changed minds in the UK for good in terms of people like my my parents who who might have read the book? Do you think it's had that effect, which presumably the, the book was written to, to par partially do that. Yes, I mean, I think that the impact and, and the legacy are, you know, very interlinked. Uh, uh, I, I think it has. I, I hope, uh, uh, at least I hope it has. And that, you know, testimonies like yours uh, uh, really tell me it has changed um, uh, you know, hearts and minds. Mm. And, and that's very important. Um, irregardless, I mean, of course, we would have liked to see a different ending, you know, to the Brexit saga. Uh, but in the fact that, you know, people started realizing uh, that there was a spin on everything. And, um, you know, some people have been misled. Um, um, and, you know, and some people didn't even think of the human impact, you know, they no. had no idea. No, um, true, true. So, um, it was, it, it, ignorance was a, was a major factor. But, absolutely. And you think, I've, I've, I didn't write this in the list of questions, but, um, my, my parents had some German students come and stay with them on, on foreign exchange, um, a few years ago. And we, we were chatting to them and they said when they're at school, I think they were like year nine or the equivalent of year nine, they're about 14 or so. They studied the EU. They studied parts of um, the single market and, and all of that sort of stuff. So they they understood a little bit more about the EU. We don't. We yes. don't I'm a school teacher and I'm working in secondary school now. We don't touch that in no. our schools. Do, do, do you think that there's a lack of education in the UK around the uh, EU? Oh, absolutely. I, I think there is because my son has been through the British system. He's just yeah. uh, finished his, his MPhil. So, um, and I don't remember him studying anything uh, uh, about the EU uh, yeah. or, um, yes, even touching on the subject. Uh, also, there is a tendency not to speak about politics in, in you know, at home. That's Whereas true. in Italy, it's very common, you know, I think we speak even too much of politics, you know, it's it's a common, it's normal, even when you meet people, as you speak of the weather, we speak of the government, <laughs> it's considered, it's not considered rude, uh, except that, you know, if you know that the person thinks very differently from you, but even, you know, people sometimes like arguing, they don't mind this sort of you know, dialogue, intense dialogue. Whereas in Britain, you know, people tend to say, okay, well, that's not really, you know, I'd rather not speak about these things. So it's very hard for a person coming, I think, generally speaking from continental Europe and, you know, finding that um, it's, for instance, politics is not something you is considered polite at the table mm -hmm. and you wonder what's left. <laughs> so, yeah, true. Um, 
<laughs> but of, of course, the idea behind In Limbo, uh, the impact and, and the legacy is really uh, to speak up, you know, to um, not being afraid of, um, you know, having a voice and of raising awareness of problems because, you know, um, in, in our case, uh, we, we were completely left out of, of this decision. Mm -hmm. So the idea was to reach the media and we've done it. And, um, you know, being in, in webinars like this where I can speak and other people will hopefully be interested. Um, or, um, you know, we've also spoken at rallies, you know, we've been throughout uh, Britain, we've been in Manchester, Bristol, uh, London many times and, and so on and so forth. The European Parliament, where we needed also, um, you know, to, to speak about, you know, our issues or the French Senate. So, um, really, this is this is the the if you, if you like the the thought behind is just you know speaking up, uh, raising awareness, making your voices heard. Yeah. And I think this doesn't end, you know, now. Uh, first of all, because our problems aren't finished, but uh, but in general, it's it's a, in my opinion, a, a good thing, you know, to yeah. do. Um, yeah, for sure. So, um, and I like to stress one thing that people sometimes may not know about in limbo. It's a totally not-for-profit, uh, um, um, uh, you know, um, book. Uh, we we don't earn anything. We're all volunteers, and and the idea at the beginning was to use royalties to buy uh, lots of books to send to politicians and influential figures throughout Europe, and we've been able to send more than two thousand um books um of course now we don't even have royalties but you know we carry on because the book is well enough uh, well known enough so we can point people to to the book or to the kindle version etc so yes i hope i have answered <laughs> great now i was, I was going to pick up on one, one of the things you said because um i i think one of the things that one of the reasons why i like to agree why i was drawn to a group in the first instance was because I really didn't understand the stuff that was going on around immigration, around citizens' rights. Um, and you, your group was the kind of the fount of knowledge, really. I always came to your group to try and work out what was going on. So um, I was going to ask you, just, just for clarity now, could you very quickly just talk us through the difference between an immigrant and an EU national exercising their right by virtue of the treaties that, that, yes. that we were signed up to at the time? Because I think a lot of people, even now, probably still don't understand the difference. Yes, uh, I, um, well, first of all, I mean, of course, we are all migrants, you know, yeah. when you move from one place to the other, you are a migrant. So, you know, in, fundamentally, we are migrants. But I think that the tabloids there was um, used um, the EU migrants, you know, they, it, this word started appearing on uh, for a purpose, mm. because um, they didn't want us to call EU citizens, which we are also and mainly because we have uh, the European directive speak of EU citizens and because we have the right to vote. And by using the word migrant and then uh, calling uh, uh, Britons living in the rest of Europe expats, they mm. wanted to create this difference, you know, whereas we are, you know, the economic migrants and, and the Britons are, you know, just uh, retiring in Europe. And this is really a false narrative because uh, everybody, we're, we were all EU citizens exercising treaty rights. Uh, um, yes, we've come for work mainly because people don't move if they don't have a job, uh, generally speaking, or for studying. Uh, and but like you know, many Britons living in Europe, most of them are um, aren't uh, retired people living in the sun. They they work and um, and they live like we do in Britain. So um, I think that you know the media, the tabloids 
really, really wanted to create, a, you know, a narrative which was a false narrative. And I think people were, you know, when you, when I remember um, headlines like uh, EU citizens uh, steal our jobs, they bring more criminality. And, and I've seen so many of them and front covers day, you know, after day, after day, and you think, okay, you know, they're trying to brainwash, and a lot of people have have been brainwashed by that, yeah, or yeah. fallen into that. And you know, and I, I don't even feel like judging them because I, you know, I know how how this works. And uh, um, yes, but it, it was very, very sad um, to look at. Hmm. Yeah, and this is something I mean that, that I've been sharing about for for for, for years is just how toxic our press is i mean this is i while i have you on the on the call is the italian press as as toxic as the british press am, am i just naive to think that the british press is 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 exceptionally toxic or, or is just all the press around the world this bad i mean what what's your what's your opinion in terms of um, from, having i'm not an expert so you know it's just my personal opinion yeah i find that tabloids in in britain are particularly toxic we don't yeah. have a, a real equivalent of ta you know tabloids and they're really? read by millions okay. of people because they're truly not um you know newspaper there are newspapers and they aren't i mean it's just gossip and all of that but they're read you know by so many people mm. in italy we have more of a right-wing left-wing press and populist you know press so it's not that you know we don't have that um but there are newspapers uh, like you know like you would have the telegraph and the guardian i don't i'm not sure how you know you call the daily mail i mean yes it's a, but it's a tabloid there's you know there, yeah. there's a word yeah. for it yeah so um I, I think, uh, you know, British people in particular have been exposed to a lot of that. Mm -hmm. And I remember uh, the, uh, the former Prime Minister of Poland, Radek Sikorski, uh, who uh, studied at Oxford and after the referendum said a sentence that I will never forget, 20 years of Daily Mail have borne fruit. Yeah. And it really has stuck with me because mm. I thought this process hasn't started now. Mm. Uh, it started well before by, you know, preparing the and, and, and then there was a perfect storm, you know, and it happened. Yeah. Brexit happened. But yeah. it, things don't happen, in my opinion, you know, by chance. Uh, sometimes, yes, there is an element of, of luck. But I think there was more than, than, than we couldn't see then. Um, I, you know, I thought, you know, in 2016, you know, before the referendum, well, actually before the campaign started, it was the last thought I had on my mind that we, we could end up like this. I want to move on to identity now, um, because I could talk to you about the press for the, the whole rest of the thing because i i get on my soapbox about the press so often i just oh yeah, I um, but, but at the risk of at the risk of sounding like um you know a broken record i think we should maybe we should move on i particularly want to hear about about um about, more about Linda and about you as well so um i have a question down here which is i i've been i've been talking about identity with all the guests because i'm really interested about this idea of of Europeanism and having multiple identities and about when those of us who started to campaign in the sort of European circle became aware of our European identity. So um, to, to, to what extent do you consider yourself Italian, British, European? Is it sort of a three-way split? Are there other levels? Is your Italian more? Is your European more? How would you sort of like bundle? How do your like competing yeah. identities all 
packaged together? I think I've always felt European, first okay. and foremost. Really? I, okay. Oh, yes. There hasn't been um, something that happened uh, during the referendum or after the referendum. Okay. Um, especially when I was in Canada, I was, you know, being so far away, you know, and looking across the ocean, I thought Europe looked so small. Yeah. <laughs> and, and therefore, I felt that my identity was was... European and then I lived in Ireland and then I lived for some time also in France when I was you know just to 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 improve my French and and of course then in Britain when it was part of the European Union it's you know I, as I said I still feel the pain mm. one a life motive of in limbo is where is home and you know really this is you know a question that a lot of people you know have have been asking and and one thing that people often forget to is is that teenagers and uh, young people have been affected uh, by by you know uh, by this atmosphere this change you know even in school sometimes you had uh, children questioning you know when are they sending you home and of course it was done as a joke but it hurt mm. and um i i would like to if possible to read a short poem oh please uh, do please do uh, read by uh, written by an italian boy leonardo uh, of 12 uh, leonardo was born in london and he belongs to, you know, the, the, the group of children who went through the turmoil of, of the referendum. Mm. And as a consequence of it, um, his family left um, uh, the UK. Right. Uh, the poem is, I think it will resonate with a lot of, of uh, Remainers. And it's called When the Result Came In. Mm. And Leonardo says, when the result came in, lives changed forever, equality was lost. When the result came in, a nation was split. Families departed from the country they once loved. When the result came in, people wouldn't recognize us anymore. We were acknowledged as strangers. The mother country had made a grave mistake. There was no turning back. When the result came in, I realized I had to leave the life I loved behind. I think it's it's such a sad poem, but oh, it's God. such a, you know, you think this boy is only 12. I know. And I a 12-year-old should not be writing stuff like that. Yes, really. it's true. It's true, but it just shows the impact, you mm. know, the referendum has had on countless lives. Mm. And, you know, when, when I, even when I was collecting the testimonies for In Limbo 2, um, I, um, uh, you know, which is, you know, a book of testimonies from British um, citizens living in the EU and some Britons living in, in Britain. I remember the, the pain, you know, the, you were talking about your mother voting leave and, you know, and, and some family were describing the division Brexit brought into families, you know, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's just, uh, um, um, yes, and that's why I think I, I always wanted our group, you know, our Facebook group in Limbo, to remain a test, uh, a group open to everyone. It was just not a group just about you citizens talking about their rights. Uh, it was a group of people who had been affected by Brexit. And it doesn't matter, you know, we're all EU citizens. And I know, you know, you've left, but to me, this identity of yours has been robbed. You know, it's it's been stolen away. And and I'm sure you, many of you feel this loss of, of identity as well. I've seen it. So I've read it in yeah. many testimonies. Don't you think so? 100%. And actually, sadly, um, the very first episode of this series 
in the conversation with my mum and dad, my mum said exactly that. She said, I feel like we've taken that away from you. We've spoiled it for you. We've robbed you of, of that. And it was quite sad to hear my mum say that. Um, yes. But she sort of realised it only after the fact. And I think it was more ignorance than anything else back, back then. And I, I don't blame anyone who voted for Brexit, really, because ultimately we were all as ignorant as each other i think really on yes. on 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 what the eu was and our what our membership with the benefits and blah 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 but um when you when you hear the testimonies and you actually see the human impact i think yeah. you'd have to be heartless to be like oh who cares do you know what i mean yes. yeah yes and of and course I, if you don't care you you know that's that's these are the people you know you really can't work with you know and but yeah. you know when people like your mother was saying, started asking themselves these questions, you know, what have I done or what, you know, I didn't realize the choice, this choice could have had such a big impact on millions of people mm. because it's not mm. just to you citizens, it's uh, you citizens living in Europe and it's Britons living in Britain now who've lost their freedom of movement, the most of important yeah. gift. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it has had, you know, a massive impact on, on, on our lives. Mm. Um. On that then, now that we've left, for, let me see if I phrase this in a way that's not too leading, <laughs> but have you, seen, have you seen a change in Britain since the vote? In terms of- Since the referendum. Yeah, since, since the referendum, yeah. In terms of the sort of the tone of the country and it's how it was once, it built itself as being very outward looking and tolerant have you well, seen there has been a change um a, a sad change you know is more inward looking uh, of course uh and it's almost like it's you know almost as if it has abdicated to its uh, you know liberal tradition you know its past um uh you know where it was known to have welcomed a lot of you know if you look at in in, in the past a lot of political figures found refuge in um, yeah. in britain yeah and um and instead, it's like almost, you know, put up barriers um, and it's um, and it's all very sad uh, because, um, you know, that's not the Britain I, I loved. No. Uh, it's very hard to recognize and when you think now, even of the new laws that are going to be introduced, you know, the fact also that, you know, we won't be able to protest peacefully. Mm. Um, uh, you know, unless, you know, you don't, we don't make noise, we don't, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it, it, it's all rather worrying. Um, I, yes, I, I am worried for the, for the future of this country uh, because yes, I may be born in Italy, but it has become my home. Mm. And, um, you know, I feel that um, its future is, um, you know, it, it's also my duty to, to work, to, to, you know, to, to do my, you know, the little I can, but to, you know, to contribute to, you know, to, to Britain, you know, be, being a better place. Yeah. Uh, being a, the, yes, the place we came and we came to love, you know, we came here, many of us came here, yes, for work, but also for love, mm. you know, and um, it's sad. It's, it's really sad to, to see this, this change, um, sudden change. Yeah, I think for me, I've, I've felt really, sort of low level depression for large periods not not in a kind of um like uh in, in a way that anyone should be worried about but just where every day when i'm on social media i 
what, growing up in it's always in sort of what I would describe as sort of Tony Blair's Britain. I was quite comfortable in that Britain. I was, I was quite, I believed when it said that it was open, uh, you know, yeah. and internationalist and liberal. I believed that in that Britain and to sort of, and, and I bought into it, I was a product of it. But in, in the last few years, I feel like it's, it's really changed. And I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to say all this first and then lead you down in that direction. But obviously you and I have chatted about this um, before this episode yeah. and we kind of agreed um the the, the 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 current direction of travel is is one that that's not a, a, it's not a pleasant one it's a nationalistic one a nativistic one isn't it and it's for me it's, it's very reminiscent lots of lots of traits of the sort of 1930s where we crept towards authoritarianism yes. and totalitarianism and like you just said with this bill with this new police bill every day something new happens and it just feels like we're yeah. just edging 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 and it, it's it's concerning yeah. Um, but again, I, I don't want to fixate too much on on, on the negatives, <laughs> which is very easy to do. Um, so I just want to ask you, how do you feel Britain and Brits like myself, how do you feel we could rebuild trust with EU nationals living in the UK, but also just more generally with, with Europe? How can we build bridges? Because Boris Johnson ain't going to do it. Um, and the ERG and the Tories, they're not interested. What they want to do is just burn all the bridges to the ground. Um, yeah. But what can what can we do as campaigners or just as Brits? What can we do to rebuild trust and be like, do you know what? They don't represent us. Britain is bigger and better than them. We, the people, we are what Britain is. And we say, you know, F off to those guys sort of thing. Yes, yes. Well, for me, it's it's, you know, it's down to, again, not being afraid of speaking up, finding a voice. Yeah. Uh, I think politics, you know, politicians haven't really created a, a robust, and I still don't see a robust opposition. opposition you know, yeah. I think fundamentally this government is able to do what it wants because, of course, the people voted for it, but there's also an electoral system which doesn't really help. You know, for instance, mm. in my um, um, you know, constituency, I can vote whatever I like, but it's always going to be Tory because yeah. I live in Theresa May's constituency. Um, uh, so it's, you know, it's it, that that is difficult. And, you know, we haven't had, as I was saying, a strong opposition, but uh, uh, the idea is to keep on working, you know, these wonderful groups, uh, just keep the flame alive. And it's not only the flame of Europe, but also the, you know, the, the good ideals. You know, we, I think we need to keep asking ourselves, what kind of country do we want to become? Where do we want to go? And, and be proactive, you know. I actually um, don't get, I mean, don't get me wrong, I sometimes get depressed as well, or, you know, I get, uh, you know, really angry. Uh, but um, I, I like to think, you know, that I like to channel uh, that anger that's, you know, into, you know, practical, into doing and working. In my case now is EU citizens, because I feel, you know, there's so many issues, unresolved issues. And mm. I, I feel that it's very, very important. But, you know, this is another way of telling the government you know, I, I don't agree with what you've done and with what you've been doing for many years, because let's face it, um, you know, the, you know, think, let's think of Windrush uh, or when you look at the hostile environment created by Theresa May mm. in 2012, that was, you know, before Brexit. So as I was saying, Brexit came, came almost as a culmination, it, you know, there was an element of luck because, you know, the, the vote was, you know, was so split. Uh, but, um, you know, it's all part of something 
we need to fight for. And I think only by, by changing, you know, that little by little, but that constant effort, I, I think, you know, we, yes, we, you know, we can improve, you know, and we can make Britain a better country. Um, the country, you know, we, we all want to see because there's so much potential. And um, so it's, it's really sometimes disheartening and it, it's sad, you know, that, uh, you know, to see things going down the drain when there, there are so many wonderful people really wanting to change things. But, you know, we really need to gather and I know the pandemic hasn't helped, but the pandemic right. will end. And I think I always like to see the image of a tsunami. I think that Brexit has come like a big wave and we're still all under underwater. And with the mm. pandemic, it's really hard to see, you know, what's happening. But when the waters recede, we will see, you know, all that is left, um, you know, um, and uh, and I think that's that's when we need to muster courage to say, OK, I'm, you know, I'm not going to put up with this. Mm. Yeah. It's that kind of almost like we need to experience a little bit more first so that we have a sense of humility in which to build something on top of because it sometimes feels like right now there are still so many closed people closed off to to listening even to criticisms of the government who have just you know let 120,000 people die in the UK um so it's, it's it, I think you're right I think we're still in that kind of period where we just need to to just hold tight and hold the government to account, as you say, just every step of the way. It's the only way, really, isn't it? Yes, and that's what, you know, I think as, uh, you know, I'm not, this is not a political, um, you know, what I'm saying is, is, well, it is political, but in the wide, in the broad sense of the word. Yeah. I think that's what politics should do, hold them to account. Yeah. You know, there's so much to say every day. You know, yeah. there's a whole list and not forgetting because we, you know, we must not forget what they've done. And, you know, that's why I always like to remind them uh, when it comes to citizen ri uh, citizens' rights, there was a promise. You promised us that we would be automatically granted leave to stay and nothing would have changed for us. So, you know, why are we where we are now? You know, yep. explain, yep. you know, hold them to account, making sure that everything, you know, just you know, do that work. And um, yeah, that's, I think that's the only way. And, you know, not necessarily with anger, uh, with anger, but with a desire really mm. to, mm. to be proactive and, and, and to do something good, you know, for Britain. Yeah, of course. Um, since you bring up where are you, EU nationals are now, I'm just going to ask you, where are EU nationals now? Because I think, <laughs> although I followed it for a long time, even I sort of got to the point where I was just like, I'm not entirely sure what the situation is currently with the, because we, we waited for a long time. There was this, there was a, a concern because it was always dragging on and on and on. Then we finally got a deal. So, so where are EU nationals now? Yes, uh, well, it's a long, painful story. You know, as you know, uh, EU citizens have been forced to apply, not register for settled status. Um, um, so basically we have had to ask to be able to stay in our own home. Yeah. Um, and um, we've, we've recently uh, released a new edition of In Limbo with a new chapter called Unsettled Status. Because I think that after the referendum, people felt betrayed. Now, mm. you know, people still feel betrayed, but there's another word that I often hear is feeling unsettled. You know, that's, that's how we feel because there's still many unresolved issues. And just to give you, you know, 
uh, you know, a little, you know, taste of, uh, of what we're going through. Um, settled status is only digital, so we don't have a, a physical document. And, and you might may think, okay, well, you know, you can print your letter. No, you can't, this is no proof. And uh, we have nothing basically in our hands to show to landlords, to airlines, to employers, uh, to banks, hospital, and this is creating you know, a lot of issues. Uh, it's creating already discrimination. It's just to give you an example, you know, there's an Italian uh, lady, Nicoletta, who had uh, been living in the UK for 12 years and she wanted to rent a house. And the landlord started asking for, a, you know, for a document, for a letter from the home office. And she said, that, I don't have anything like that. Here's a number. And, you know, it took a week. And in the end, you know, he understood. But the, the, the reality is that many landlords don't know, they're afraid, you know, they don't want to be fined. They don't realize that until the 30th of June, we are still in the grace period. So nobody should be asking us for anything. And, and therefore, you know, they're not renting, they're not, you know, they're discriminating, not necessarily because they're xenophobes or anything, mm. but simply because they don't know. Yeah. Or, you know, people have been asked for settled status when going to hospitals. A lady told me that she had discovered she had the day she discovered she had cancer. She got a phone call uh, saying, "Are you eligible for treatment?" And imagine having been married to a Brit, feeling part of of this country, and all of a sudden saying, "You know, well, show me whether we can treat you for cancer or not." Mm -hmm. um, or you know, same things happen at airlines. So I mean, physical document, you know, the lack of it is is you know a major obstacle. Also, there are many, many people who don't know they need to apply. And what maybe some Britons don't know is that we have a hard deadline on the 30th of June. If people haven't applied for settled status, and if you know any EU citizens and are listening, please, please, please tell them everyone has to apply, even the children. Um, so as, as I was saying, uh, there's a hard deadline after which we, anybody who hasn't applied, will become illegal, will become unlawful resident. And there are many people. So, that's, so the, first, the 1st of July, we could have thousands of illegal residents potentially tens of thousands and you know and and numbers are are really quite worrying you know we have you know the the latest figures 400,000 people um still waiting for an answer often you know the most complicated cases i think like um maybe if you are a non-new citizen married to a new citizen and so on right. um and we have 33,700 refusals not on criminality grounds they told us that Criminality could be, you know, if you had had, um, you know, problems with, uh, even in the past, you know, it could be grounds for being refused. No, we, but we don't know exactly why, who these people are. And then the, there will be all, all those people who don't know. And I can assure you, I mean, the elderly, the most vulnerable ones, victims of domestic abuse, yeah. um, minorities, such as the Roma community, they're all going to be, you know, in, in, you know, in big numbers left out because they simply don't know. Yeah. But I also had experience, you know, I met, for instance, at Heathrow, I remember meeting this taxi driver uh, uh, who had, you know, a family and told me, oh, no, I have a national insurance number. I, do, I don't need to do anything. Um, or my, you know, I went to a beautician and she told me, um, yes, I've done settled status for, for my husband. And, uh, you know, both of us have settled status. And I said, what about your daughter? She said, oh, I didn't know. Children have to do it as well. So, you know, when you hear these these things mm -hmm. and you, you know you're talking of just few people you meet around imagine multiplied by you know you know the whole country yeah. so potentially 
uh, and becoming a lawful resident means that you are cut off from everything. You cannot have a job, you can't go, you know, you don't have any, um, you know, you're not eligible for treatment, um, you can't have a bank account, you know, basically, when a minister last year told us that there will be no automatic deportations, I mean, leaving aside the normalization of the language, which is quite frightening because we're talking in, in you know, in, in 2020 of our deportations and it's for mm. the new normal. But mm. leaving that aside, I thought maybe automatic, not, but voluntary. Yes, because people will have, will not be able to stay. So, you know, there'll be, you know, the only thing they can do is, is leave. Um, so this is, this is really worrying. It's, it's, um, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm waiting, you know, for, for that date with uh, trepidated with fear, mm. uh, because I can see as Yvette Cooper called it, um, uh, you know, a, a windrush on steroids, you know, a yeah. possible you know, much, much bigger windrush. So, yeah. you know, when people ask, are you fine? You know, you're fine now. There have been 5 million applications these, you know, these numbers, they count for nothing. You know, every time you, you, you know, you, you basically go on and, uh, uh, you know, enter into, into that, it's counted as one. So there's double, double, triple counting and so on and so forth. So many of us will, will be left out and potentially tens of thousands if, if we're lucky. So if anyone's listening that hasn't done this by the Please, 31st by- of June, Yes. Yeah, application. Uh, and is, know, is the application the after which is it is it easy to find? Is it just on the government yes. website, presumably? On the government website. And if yeah. you know uh, they they need any help, they can come to us in Limbo, our Brexit testimonies as a group, and we will send them to normally we send them to settled. Uh, we have volunteers in the group um, and who help them. Um, so, you know, there will be plenty of help available. That's what we do as well as in Limbo. Right. Any person who comes, you know, if they have psychological problems, for instance, you know, especially in the beginning with this long wait created, you know, a, a lot of pain. We send them to mind and we send them to settled and et cetera, et cetera. So uh, depending on, on the need the person has, uh, although we are mainly a group of testimonies. Um, I just wanted to end on your thoughts on the UK. I know we've sort of discussed that the you know the fact that the UK is going in a, in, in a certain direction, um, but do you think do you think the UK could or should rejoin the EU? I mean, my obviously my campaigning has all been about trying to stay in, and now part of my campaigning energy is about thinking about how we return. Um, so I'm very dedicated to the idea of us rejoining. Um, but I know that that's not necessarily going to be the view of a lot of Europeans who, if they've been really let down by the UK or if, if they're just looking at the UK and just thinking, we don't even want them near us, you know, we just need to stay away. Um, I mean, what, what are your thoughts? Do you think, as, as someone who's, who's, who's lived here but also might have a sense of an opinion elsewhere in the EU? Yes, I, well, it's a very complex, um, you know, question to which there isn't an easy answer. Mm. You know, I think, you know, my, my first um, uh, you know, immediate reply would say, yes, of course. I mean, it would be so lovely. Also, because as you citizens living here, we are paying the price too, you know, of, uh, you know, we, we, you know, staying in, in Britain, we see all the limitations that, you know, yes, we have retained freedom of movement, but, you know, uh, like you, if we need to send a package, we pay tariffs, everything has become more difficult, and so on and so forth. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, of course, I, I still think that there will be, there still needs to be a lot of work. Um, you, know, that, that, you know, there's a lot of work to be done because of course, Britain can think of, you know, leaving and then joining and then maybe leaving again. So mm -hmm. I think that's really the work that needs to be done now that, you know, the, the you know, what we were talking about before, uh, these wonderful groups, you know, um, the European, you know, movement, not, not, in, not as such, but I mean, all these European, pro-European groups really, really need to, um, you know, to make a change, to bring that breath of fresh air to Britain. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think also um, we need to reach the young people, those who have been cut off from the Erasmus, for instance, and make yeah, them understand yeah. what they're losing you know yeah. I, I you know I cannot believe that the new generation of Britons has less rights than my generation it's absolutely dreadful so yeah. if we you know if that work is done properly then I think that you know the time will come to rejoin because of course it's not a decision um, you know yes there could be a new referendum but um, but it's also a decision that Europe has to take. And course, you know, yeah. I think on, on that side, they need yeah. to see that there is a, a real desire mm. um, you know, to, to rejoin. Mm. I, I always think, you know, when you're talking about being positive of, um, you know, of, of the cover of Illimbo, uh, which uh, you know, brings me back to you know, that sentence I had in my head, a verse actually from Dante, um, when Article 50 was triggered, on that day, I really thought of Dante's uh, opening lines of the, his Divine Comedy. Uh, and he says, Nel mezzo del cammin di nostra vita mi ritrovai per una selva oscura, which translated means in the middle of my life, I found myself in a dark forest for I had lost the straightforward path. But then Dante ends his inferno uh, with uh, with the verse, and hence we came forth to rebehold the stars. Uh, so you know that that's the hope, uh, you know. And I I think that's that's you know that's the hope we need to cultivate. You know, we we need to really work, uh, you know, in order to rebehold the stars. You know, the stars of the European Union, but also you know the yeah, yeah, you know, a more positive uh, future. I think you know there's uh, Britain deserves better. Yeah. And and I think that's what I, you know, want to end up with, you know, let's, you know, let's not lose that hope. Let's, mm. you know, but, mm. you know, in order uh, to 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 be hopeful, um, we can't sit idle. We need really, you know, a collective effort. And, you know, it, this is so important because just hope doesn't grow, you know, like this. It just requires dedication and people really believe in an ideal. Indeed, and very well said. I mean, I've, I've been banging on about this for, for a long time now. I feel like we need almost like a Tony Blair figure, someone, a powerful communicator, a visionary, obviously not Tony Blair because everyone hates him now, but somebody like <laughs> that who can bring people together, who, who's, who's, a, who's passionate and can communicate in a, and, and has a genuine, um, as I say, vision for the world that's well thought out and people can buy into, um, and yeah. not just these... These effort, these um, these slogans that, that this current batch have, these sort of empty slogans. Um, I don't know. I, I, we've 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 slightly gone over an hour, so I, I just wanted to I wanted to ask you. First of all, I wanted to thank you so much for coming on and um, giving pleasure. us all about. Thank you so much for giving this opportunity. No, you were fantastic, and it was so lovely to hear Dante actually spoken in Italian, which is <laughs> <laughs> it's just the first I've heard of that. It was brilliant. Um, 
Do you, do you have a parting message for anybody that, that might be listening, either a, a Brit that's just distraught about Brexit or even any national perhaps that's listened to this and wondering, you know, what the future holds? Have you, I, I know we've just, I know you've literally just given a really rousing positive <laughs> speech, but I, and we've spoken about the fact that, they, that people need to get their applications in before the end of June. Um, is, is there anything missing from that? Is there anything that you, you would like to address the audience by saying, I, oh, we already I, touched on it. Yeah, don't, you know, I know it may sound cliche, but I really mean it. Don't lose hope. Okay. You know, and keep working, you know, yeah. um, you know, in order for, for, for that, you know, for that day to come. It's not going to come if we, of course, we need somebody to, um, you know, to represent us. You know, as yeah. you were saying, we need a figure. And we haven't yeah. had that, unfortunately, in these, no. uh, in these five years. Um, uh, but, you know, in order for that to happen, we really, really need a collective effort and we shouldn't be afraid. I mean, of course, uh, uh, we see now all these draconian measures being taken and, uh, you know, when we were talking about peaceful protest uh, not uh, not being allowed, uh, um, it all worries us. But I think we need to look, you know, above and um, and not let, let us, you know, be drawn down or think, Oh, you know, it's done. It's finished. A democracy is always in becoming. It's you know, we we need to to work at it. Rights are always a conquest. So, and we see it as EU citizens. We thought our rights, you know, we took our rights for granted mm. until they were taken from us mm. because settled status isn't giving us back all the rights we had before. Yeah. Uh, and um, and you've lost rights. Britons have lost yeah. many many rights. Yeah. Um, so uh, you know, there's. It, you know, we need to fight to get them back. Mm -hmm. and so I just want to end up like this, you know, but on a hopeful uh, note, because I think everything is possible if we want it. Uh, you know, we just need to work at it. Mm -hmm. Indeed. And I just just to just to add to that, there was one I, I interviewed AC Grayling a few a few weeks back and, and he said that it took UKIP and Nigel Farage, it took them 40 years to get anywhere near where they where they ended up we've already built in in a few short years a massive community we've got a huge base from which to from which to um to move forward you know on on which to build now so um the yeah. important thing is now you know that people don't think it's my work is done or there's nothing because they're you know i mean there will always be a number of people doing that but those who really have worked hard um you know they they, they shouldn't be uh, you know, leaving and, you know, they, they, I hope they, they continue, you know, to, to work and to, because this is, this is really wonderful. And actually I was speaking to an Italian friend of mine the other day about the, the grassroots European movements in, in England. Mm. And very few people know that, uh, you know, that you are so many. And it's yeah, like yeah, loads your, of little, you know, your resistance to this, yeah. it was. And, uh, and you know, not allowing an, anyone to silence these voices. Very mm. important that you know you continue, and uh, you're not afraid, and you keep saying, you know, what is right, you know, and uh, um, yes, and that's all I think I have to say. Elena Ramiji, thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. I hope you enjoyed that. On next week's episode, we have the former Labour MEP Seb Dance. Seb is a well-known figure in our community a really powerful, forceful voice over the last few years on Brexit. He's also well known for holding that sign up behind Nigel Farage in the European Parliament saying that he's lying to you, which he was. Um, so no doubt we'll talk about that. Hope to see you then. Thanks so much.